Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. Praise the Lord. Okay, the book of Acts, chapter 5, and we've been dealing with five features that we find in the early church. And the five features that we were dealing with are five features that we find that really made the early church very, very effective. Now, if there's ever been a model that we should follow as a church, we could go right into the book of Acts. From Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit moving with that church in a very powerful way. And if there's any model that we need to follow today, is the model that we have recorded right here in the book of Acts. Now the last time that we were together, we dealt with purity. And again, let's go back and we see that in verse 12 to verse 14, that it dealt with purity. And already you remember that how the Ananias and Sapphira try to hold out on God. They try to claim something that was not true. And then the judgment of God came upon Ananias and Sapphira. And the reason why was because of the purity of the church. Up till this point, we don't see any judgment upon anybody. But all of a sudden, Ananias and Sapphira, they try to hold back a portion of the amount of money that they sold their property for, and they lied not to the apostles, but they lied to the Holy Spirit. And this is what Peter said, you haven't lied to man, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Why have you lied to God? Why have you done this thing? And then the judgment of God came upon Ananias, and then later on it came upon his wife Sapphira. And we find that the judgment of God came upon them. So, the church was in a state of purity. And that's what we dealt with first. And in verse 12 we find it says, And by the hands of the apostles and many signs and wonders was wrought among the people, and they were all in one accord in Solomon's po porch. And of the rest, there no man join himself to them. Now because of the purity of the church, and because of the judgment of God coming upon them, upon Ananias and Sapphira, people began to say, if you join that church and you mess up, God will kill you. And they said, it's serious business. It is serious business joining that church because God is killing people. And it says that no one dared to join themselves to that church but it says, but the people magnified them. Now, and notice what it says in verse 14. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. So it seems to say, first of all, that no one joined the church because they were totally terrified. And then it also, the next verse says, and believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. What it really is telling us that those that were jumping on a bandwagon, those that were looky-loos, and those that were just going on a spiritual high, 
that were not willing to pay the price and separate themselves unto God did not join the church. But there was a group of people that had received the word of God and had a genuine conversion, genuine salvation. And those were the people that they embraced it and they joined and they dedicated themselves to the work of God and to the purposes of God. So it says the church began to grow and believers, you notice what it says, it emphasized believers, not unbelievers, not nominal Christians, but believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. How many know that God is after, he's after quality than quantity? It's not how many people are in the church. It is the spiritual level of those people. God is always after quality. Quantity does not impress him. It is quality that he's after in the lives of men and women. And this is what we find the characteristic of the early church. It was a, a quality church. And quality will always bring quantity. Genuine quantity. And this is what we find. Because of the quality of the church, the people that were just looking for nominal Christianity, the people that were just looking to jump on a spiritual bandwagon, did not join the church, but people that were sincere, people that really wanted a genuine experience with God, those are the people that joined the church. So the church became a quality church, a church that was separated unto God. And it is beautiful to see that. It is beautiful to see quality people within a church, people that are totally committed to God, people that are committed to the purposes of God within their lives. So the church was a pure church. And I also made mention of how purity comes by separation unto God by, by prayer and the Word of God. If you want to see a pure church, then find out how much they pray. And any church that is a pure church, that is a separate church unto God, you will find that they will have prayer activities going on constantly within the church. In the early church, they prayed in the morning, they prayed in the afternoon, they prayed at night. And this is what inspires me when I begin to see within our church people praying in the morning, people praying in the afternoon, and also people praying at night. That's what brings about purity. When people begin to seek the presence of God. You cannot be pure if you don't spend time with God. But the church that spends time with God, the individual that spends time with God, begins to slowly take upon himself, upon herself, the nature of God. God is pure. And then his people and also his church becomes pure. Secondly, we mention, and again I'm giving a review, we mentioned about the purity of the church. Secondly, we also mentioned that if the church is pure, then the church is powerful. Any pure church is a powerful church. Any committed church will have the power of the Holy Spirit moving within their midst. And in verse 12, and also verse 15 to 16, we find that power demonstrated in the early church. Listen, look at the first uh, 
the uh, first portion of verse 12. It says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch. Could you imagine the ter tremendous meetings they had in Solomon's porch? must have been exciting to be over there in Solomon's porch. They didn't have it indoors, but they had it outdoors. In Solomon's porch, people would gather, and then the apostles would begin to minister, and the Spirit of God would be moving, and people would be getting healed. And then also listen to verse 15, what it says. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the street and laid on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also multitudes out of the city and about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirit. And they were healed, every one of them. So the pure church is a powerful church, a church where you find the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit being manifested within their midst. And this is what we find in the early church. There were people that were laid out. They brought the sick and they laid them out in the street. That just even the shadow of Peter might pass by and overshadow them. They used to say, the ancient people believed that the man's, a man's shadow carried his influence. So parents would place their children into the shadow of great men and also snatch them away from someone they dislike. So they felt if we could only put our children, if we could only lay our sick folk and the shadow of Peter pass by, they'll be healed by his very shadow. So you could see that it was a very powerful church, and it says not some of them were healed, but all of them were healed. So it was a pure church, and also secondly, we mentioned it was a powerful church. And again, we're still in review. Number three, then we mentioned that even though the church was pure, and even though the church was powerful and had power, there was something that was still missing. And what was that something? What also comes as a package every time? What's part of our Christian experience? Say it with me. It's another P. Say it again. You don't even like to say it, do you? I mean, we hate that word persecution. It means trials. It means testing. It means suffering. And we dislike that. Sometimes we have the concept, if I get saved, then it's going to be a bed of roses, how beautiful, joy and happiness. And sometimes preachers even give a false concept of Christianity. I believe we should take a hold of our new converts and from the very beginning tell them, listen, you're going to have joy, you're going to have happiness, you're going to have peace but you're also going to have trials and suffering and testings and persecutions going to come your way. And those trials and the testing and persecution, if we stand tall, if we stand firm, then it only makes us stronger. See, the devil brings it to destroy us, but God turns it around and makes us 
even more solid. And listen over here in verse 17, the trials that they went through. It says, then the high priest, all these beautiful things are taking place, and all of a sudden there comes the opposition. And believe me, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And every time you're determined to do something good for God, the enemy's going to come against you. In verse 17, then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which were of the set of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. Now you notice what happened to them? First of all, we mentioned it was jealousy. Those other religious rulers were jealous. And it's sad to say that even in Christianity, whenever God is blessing someone, there's always others that get jealous. And the worst people we around is jealous people. Because they always want the worst for you. And this even happens in Christianity. It shouldn't happen, but it happens in Christianity. And over here, these, uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees, instead of being excited, instead of joining with the apostles and disciples, with the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that was going on, they became jealous. They became jealous because the crowds were following the disciples. Multitudes were coming out, and, and God was moving by His Holy Spirit. So they were jealous. And because of that, they laid hands. It says in verse 18, and they laid hands on the apostles. Now, they didn't lay hands on the apostles to pray for them. When it says they laid hands, they actually apprehended them. And then they put them in a common prison. But I want you to know this morning, and I want you to know that there is hope that no matter what comes against you, whatever trial you may be going through, whatever testing you may be experiencing within your spiritual life, God always makes a way. God is able to overthrow. God is able to turn things around. God is able to make a way where there seems to be no way. Our God is a faithful God. Hallelujah! I'll tell you, Christianity is not easy. I've been around it for a while. Man, and it gets tough sometimes. You think it don't get tough pastoring a church? You know the enemy comes, some enemy many times, enemy strategizes. How many know that he has strategy? Enemy has strategy. Enemy gets together with, uh, sometimes was totally oblivious to what's actually happening. People come in here and they're over here in a, in a spiritual stupor or something like that. And we don't recognize that there's a, there's a warfare that's actually taking place. The enemy is strategizing. He calls all his demons together and he, he, gets, uh, he gets all his forces together. He says, okay, now the, the plan is to attack La Puente Victory Outreach. Hmm? And then when things begin to happen and you see people reacting, the first ones that begin to react are the people that are not in the Word of God. The people that are going by feelings. The ones that go by feelings, 
and they begin to react. I don't know, I don't know, I don't feel the way I used to feel. I don't like what I feel. I don't like what I, what, or people that are just going by what they see and, and what they feel and not going by the word of God. And he brings a, 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 a shakening. And then he brings a shakening, and the people that get sh- sh- uh, shaken, the people that are shook, are the people that are not within the word of God. But I'll tell you this, those of us, and there are many of you here this morning, you've been around a long time. You've had experiences. I look at Sister Chavez, she's had, she's gone through the good times and through the bad. I look at Brother Rivera, whoo, years of Christianity. He's gone through the good times and through the bad. Brother Nordine, Brother Nordine, he's still on the way. Still preaching, in spite of trials and the situation and everything that comes against him, he's hopping on a plane and he's going to be preaching for one whole month in Sweden proclaiming the divine word of God. Those of us that have been around for a while, we recognize that even though the trial comes and even though the period of testing comes, God is able to turn things around. Our confidence is not in what we see or what we feel, but our confidence is in the divine Word of God that He says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My Word shall never pass away. God is faithful to His promises because His promises are true. And listen to me, whatever you may be going through this morning, I want you to know, hold tight. God is real. And God is faithful to his divine promises. And this is what he did over here. I'm not supposed to be staying this long on this. We're reviewing. But listen to what he did. What did he do? God overruled Satan. Look what happened in in verse 19. So they locked them up, and then in verse 19, but what? I like that word, but. That means something's going to happen. God is going to overrule. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought, opened the prison door, brought them forth and said, what did he say to them? You better run away, the devil's after you. I mean, they got locked up for preaching, right? They got locked up for doing the work of God. And then he opens up the prison doors, and he doesn't say to them, you better take a vacation, you better take a sabbatical, because the devil's after you, and just wait till everything calms down, and then I'll call you again. Did he say that? Did he say run away? God never tells us to run away. God never tells us to run away. God tells us to stand fast. See, when we get running, what, what we develop is rabbit blood. See, you hear a rabbit hop, you know, hopping, hopping here and hopping there and hopping everywhere. There's a whole lot of ch- church hoppers. Whenever they heat, whenever there's a battle, whenever there's a trial, whoo, they're on the run right away. Okay. What, did, what, did, what, did, what did the angel tell them? The angel told him, what did he say? He said, first of all, go! Marching orders. Go! And then he told him what? 
not lay down, but stand. Go, stand, speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So he told them, you get back there and you get into that temple and you begin to do what I've called you to do. Don't worry about the opposition. It's all taken care of. I've taken care of it. And then what happened? And then over here it goes on and it says, And when they heard, they entered into the temple early in the morning, and they taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the sin and the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. They didn't even know they were out yet. They have them brought. And then it says in verse 22, But when the officers came, they found them not in the prison. They returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we, we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. I mean, they got, they got into a panic. They said, how far is this going to go? Why, we put them in prison, and then all of a sudden they're out. And they said, I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, they were in a state of panic. They had lost control of the situation. And then it says in verse 25, this even added to the fire, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They're doing the same thing all over again. You put them in prison for preaching and teaching. And now they're out. Even the guards didn't know it. And they're back again in the temple and back again doing the very same thing, preaching and teaching the people. Then when the captain with the officers and, and, and he brought them, when the, when the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. You know what it says? It emphasizes without violence. How many know they would have loved to just put it on them? But it says, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. Now, you know what Peter could have did? Peter could have started a riot right there. Peter could have said, I'm not going with you. People, look what they're trying to do. They're arresting us. And it would have been a big riot. They probably would have stoned those people. But Peter was not, his uh, defense was not violence. But his defense was trust in God. A confidence and a trust in God. And it says over here that when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, listen to how effective they were, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, here they took him and they brought him back before the council, and listen to the indictment that was against them. You have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. They had totally evangelized all of Jerusalem. And it brings us into the fourth point that we're dealing with this morning. So we see that the accusations, first of all, the accusations that were against them was that they disobeyed the rulers, number one, that they disincriminating the authorities by bringing this man's blood upon us, and that they were also spreading the gospel. He says, Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. But it brings us to the fourth point, and something that we need to have. One thing that they had, 
they had persistence. They were very persistent in what God had called them to do and what God had called them to be. And listen to what he says over here. Peter says in verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, even though they brought him back again and they're before the council, he says, we ought to obey God rather than man. He says, instead of obeying man, God has given us orders. And even though you people don't like it, even though it displeases you, we must obey God. If we have a choice of obeying man or obeying God, we must be obedient to God. And then he also goes ahead and he be begins to preach again. And he begins to preach to them. Look at the boldness he had. And it says in verse 30, And the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on the tree. And him has God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so it is also the Holy Ghost whom God has given to them that obey him. So he brings out three things. First of all, he says that they needed to obey God rather than man. Secondly, he begins to confront sin in their lives. And he says, you are the one who is guilty of slaying Jesus. And then he also brings out his message and he says, and Jesus, God has exalted him. And we are witnesses of his resurrection. So he brings out a message, the very same message that he was preaching to the people. He also came and he also preached it to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what effect did it have? Well, I'll tell you, every time, and brings us to our fifth point, every time the word of God is preached, even while I'm preaching this morning, God's word will always bear fruit. God's word. Well, now, now, I'm not talking about man's stories. I'm not talking about if a man gets up and begins to give a whole lot of stories and begins to impart of his own knowledge. I'm talking about God's Word will never return void. And what we find here with Peter, he was giving them the whole counsel of the Word of God. Even though it wasn't popular what he was saying, but he gave them the word of God. And God's word will never return void. And that brings us to the fifth point. We see productivity. The early church was able to produce results. It was a church that was pure. It was a church that was powerful. It was a church that was persecuted. It was a church that was persistent. And because of all these qualities that the church had, it produced results. And if we want to produce results today, we must be willing to pay the price. The reason why there's some people that don't bear fruit, the reason why some Christians bear fruit and other Christians don't bear fruit, is because you're not willing to pay the price. You could come here week after week, and some of you could come week after week, week after week, week after week, and stay the same. Well, there's others that are growing spiritually, and they're becoming spiritual giants. What's the reason? The reason why is because 
you haven't been willing to pay the price. You haven't been willing to give yourself totally and completely to God. When you begin to give yourself totally and completely to God, you can't help but begin to bear fruit. And the early church was a very productive church. Now let's take a look and see what happened. Well, we find in verse 33, as Peter began to preach to them, there are three things that actually take place every time you preach. L listen to what happened. It says, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart, and then it says that they took counsel to slay them. Now, first of all, when it says they were cut to the heart, you know what it actually says? What it really means when they were cut to the heart, it means that they were under conviction. They got convicted. When you preach God's word under the unction of the Holy Spirit, it brings conviction. Over and over again in the word of God in the book of Acts, we could turn to other portions of the book of Acts, and you find that when they preached the word of God, it convicted. The word of God reproves. The word of God convicts. They responded in one of the three ways as well. First of all, we find that the Pharisees, they responded in a way, when they were cut to the heart, they actually responded and they got very, very angry. This is what we find. It says over here that they took counsel to slay them. They got angry. They got violent. They got resentful because they didn't like what they heard. They were being accused of being a sinner. And the very first thing they did, it angered them. And how many people get angry sometimes when you stop, you stop preaching and you start really zeroing in? There's some people that are rebellious and they don't want to accept it. And the first thing they do, they get angry. They say, I don't like that kind of preaching. What is that preaching? What does he have to preach about commitment? I don't want to hear not one word of commitment anymore. You know why? Because they're being convicted. Bothering them. I don't want to hear a prayer. Don't even tell me about prayer anymore. Don't even talk about evangelizing anymore. Why do I have to hear about money? Don't talk about money. You shouldn't talk about money in the church. Please don't talk about money. Most people get convicted about that. I don't want to hear about tithes and offering and finances and money. And the reason why is because it's conviction. You're dealing, not yet, you're dealing in an area that's very touchy within their lives. The Holy Spirit is, is dealing, the Holy Spirit is touching the very sensitive area within their life. So there are some people that they're not willing to receive, not willing to accept God's word. So the very first thing they do, they react out of anger. Are you telling me if there wasn't proof 
for these men to understand that this was God working. Well, here were the miracles. I mean, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they had all the proof in the world that it was God that was with the disciples and the apostles. Why, people were getting healed. People were getting healed. Miracles and wonders were being performed. The people were getting saved. People were being touched. They didn't have any excuse whatsoever. I mean, God was backing up his word with the demonstration of power. Signs and wonders. And yet in spite of all the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, these people still refused and still was angered because of the word of God. They wanted to shut him up. They didn't care about all these people getting healed. All they want to do was shut him up. Shut up and don't talk about that no more. It bugs us, it's bothering you. So they were angered. That's one response. The second response we find that is found in verse 34. Now the second response is a, a real cool response. There's some people that are cool like that. You say, you know what, Brother Sonny? What you're preaching, I agree with you. But you know what? I'm not ready yet. Let's, let's give it some time. We'll put it off for another day. I believe what the preacher says. You know what? The preacher, don't get angry. The preacher's really preaching the truth, and I believe it. But we're just not ready right now. Let's give it a little bit of time, and in God's time, I will dedicate my life to God. If God is really working with me, it will come to pass. Don't worry, God always gets his way. This is what you find the type of reaction of Gamaliel. This is what Gamaliel said. It says over here, Then there stood one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, listen to what he said, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourself what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thyudas, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who were slain and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. And then in verse 37 it says, After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of tax taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And then he says in verse 38, And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone, let them alone. For if this council or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And what did they say? They went ahead. Now, Gamaliel was very well respected. Gamaliel was a, a member of the Pharisees, a teacher of the law, and he was part of the Sanhedrin. Very well respected. He was a Pharisee. He wasn't a Sadducee. He was a Pharisee. He was a doctor of the law. Very profound. Very well respected. And he came with this logic and he says, you know what? Just leave it alone and let it be. Just see what happens. 
How many people like that today? Just seeing what happens. I know God is working, but we'll see what actually takes place. And this is what he was telling these people. So he tells them, and then listen to what they did. Now, you could tell that these were totally contrary to what the apostles were doing. And then it says over here in verse 40, And to him they agreed, they all agreed, and when they had called the apostles, and what did they do? They called them and what? Tell me. What did they do? They beaten them. They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. But even before they let them go, what did they do? They beat them. Now here are these disciples. They talk about commitment. How many times have you been beaten? The only time you've been beaten sometimes with the word, right? And I'm pretty nice compared to some other preachers in Victory Outreach, I'll tell you. But they took a hold of them and they had a whip. They actually whipped them. Imagine if you were whipped. The devil comes around and just goes, ah, to you like that. And right away you're running. I thought I'm on a backslide. I can't make it. I can't serve God. The devil got a hold of them, tied them up over here. They, they, got, these, they got these guys and took a whip. And, and, and the commentaries say that they whipped their back. Wham! 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 Are you going to preach again? Wham! Huh? And then after that, they turned them around, and then they're right in their chest. Wham! I mean, you know, and they got every one of them. And then they told them after they beat them, then it says over here, and they commanded them that they should not speak. Now, commanded, they didn't ask, they didn't ask them. And they didn't tell them real nicely, please don't speak. He com they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, what would have happened to an uncommitted person? Uh, the first thing that person would have done is take a vacation, man, and say, this is getting too hot for me. I didn't expect this to happen. I didn't expect this to happen in Christianity. I didn't expect to get me. I thought Jesus was going to take care of me. Is that the attitude they took? No, in fact, it was contrary. Listen to what they did. It says in verse 41... And they departed from the presence of the council. What? what? Say it again. Rejoicing. Rejoicing for what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And what did they do? In verse 42, did they take a vacation? And daily in the temple and in every house... They cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. You say, well, why is it that the Holy Spirit was able to move through this church? I'll tell you why. Because it was a quality church. It was a church of people that were totally committed to the purposes of God. Whatever the price was, they were willing to pay. And the more they got beat, the more they rejoiced because... They suffered for the sake of Jesus Christ. And just like Paul says, I carry in this body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many marks do you carry? How many have gotten beat? How many of you gotten beat for Jesus? Let me see, you gotten beat. Raise your hand. 
One brother got beat. Probably got beat up in the street somewhere. Some witnessing for Jesus probably got beat up. Brother. But how many people got beat? Not, not too many people gotten beat. So what are you what are you complaining about? What are you sniveling about? What are you complaining about? What is what is what is it too hard to serve Jesus? Have your feelings been hurt? Big deal. Somebody hurt your feelings. Big deal. You're not making it financially. Well, God is able to provide. Is there sickness in your body? He is our healer. Whatever the situation is, there isn't anything that's too hard for God. He's in control of everything. And we, as not only individuals, but we as a church have to recognize that if we are going to be a powerful church, we will also be a persecuted church, but we need to be persistent and stand tall and stand firm and trust God rather than man or rather than what the enemy says. Putting our confidence and trust in God. And what did they do? They didn't, they didn't, get it. They didn't go into uh, an active duty, but they remained in active duty daily in the temple, every house. They ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. And what, was, what did they produce? Was there results? Did God give them results? Yes, I'll tell you. Right here in chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, what does it say? In those days, when the number of what? In those days, the what? Say it with me. The number? The number of what? You notice what it emphasizes? What does it say? Believers? Over here now it's saying what? Disciples! Quality people! Disciples were multiplied. The church began to grow. And there's always growth. God will always bring growth. So there's that. People respond in how many ways? When they're convicted, first of all, they get angry. Secondly, not only do they get angry, but then secondly, some are passive and say, well, I'll just put it another day. But then thirdly, there are those that the seed falls on good ground, and they say, you know what? I'm not putting it off. But I'm going to, they get convicted, I'm going to serve Jesus, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Now let me tell you in closing this. Listen, true repentance and, and, and true conviction is not by only feeling. See, these people that responded and accepted Jesus, it wasn't just an emotional experience, but it was something that happened with their thinking. It was a decision that they made. First of all, it happens up here in the mind, in the intellect. That song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. He deals with our intellect. Over here, they were able to see the proof before their very own eyes. And they made a decision. And when they made a decision, it affects your emotions. 
And then once it, not only does it affect your emotions, but also it has an effect upon your will. And it brings forth positive and good results. And this morning, I'm not asking you to, I'm not trying to ask you to appeal from just emotional point of view, but that you would get, be able to say, I believe the Word of God. And I believe, and not only do I believe, but I have decided and I have purpose to follow Jesus. And as you begin to do that, then that transformation begins to take place. That whole transformation, the power of God. I'll tell you, Christianity is not easy. I've been around it for a while. Man, and it gets tough sometimes. You think it don't get tough pastoring a church? You know, the enemy comes, some enemy many times, enemy strategizes. How many know that he has strategy? Enemy has strategy. Enemy gets together with, uh, and sometimes was totally oblivious to what's actually happening. People come in here and they're over here in a, in a spiritual stupor or something like that. And we don't recognize that there's a, there's a warfare that's actually taking place. The enemy is strategizing. He calls all his demons together and he, he, gets, uh, he gets all his forces together. He says, okay, now the, the plan is to attack La Puente Victory Outreach. Hmm? And then when things begin to happen and you see people reacting, the first ones that begin to react are the people that are not in the Word of God. The people that are going by feelings. The ones that go by feelings, and they begin to react. I don't know, I don't know, I don't feel the way I used to feel. I don't like what I feel. I don't like what I... Or, or people that are just going by what they see and, and what they feel and not going by the Word of God. And he brings a, 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 a shakening. And then he brings a shakening, and the people that get sha sh uh, shaken, the people that are shook, are the people that are not within the Word of God. But it says, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. Now, you know what Peter could have did? Peter could have started a riot right there. Peter could have said, I'm not going with you. People, look what they're trying to do. They're arresting us. And it would have been a big riot. They probably would have stoned those people. But Peter was not, his uh, defense was not violence. But his defense was trust in God. A confidence and a trust in God. And it says over here that when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, listen to how effective they were, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So here they took him and they brought him back before the council, and listen to the indictment that was against them. You have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. They had totally evangelized 
all of Jerusalem. And it brings us into the fourth point that we're dealing with this morning. So we see that the accusations, first of all, the accusations that were against them was that they disobeyed the rulers, number one, that they disincriminating the authorities by bringing this man's blood upon us, and that they were also spreading the gospel. He says, behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. But it brings us to the fourth point and something that we need to have. One thing that they had, they had persistence. They were very persistent in what God had called them to do and what God had called them to be. And listen to what he says over here. Peter says in verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, even though they brought him back again and they're before the council, he says, we ought to obey God rather than man. He says, instead of obeying man, God has given us orders. And even though you people don't like it, and even though it displeases you, we must obey God. If we have a choice of obeying man or obeying God, we must be obedient to God. And then he also goes ahead and he begins to preach again. And he begins to preach to them. Look at the boldness he had. And it says in verse 30, And the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you slew and hanged on the tree. And him has God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so it is also the Holy Ghost whom God has given to them that obey him. So he brings out three things. First of all, he says that they needed to obey God rather than man. Secondly, he begins to confront sin in their lives. And he says, you are the one who is guilty of slaying Jesus. And then he also brings out his message and he says, and Jesus, God has exalted him. And we are witnesses of his resurrection. So he brings out a message, the very same message that he was preaching to the people. He also came and he also preached it to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what effect did it have? Well, I'll tell you, every time, and brings us to our fifth point, every time the word of God is preached, even while I'm preaching this morning, God's word will always bear fruit. God's word. When I, now, I'm not talking about man's stories. I'm not talking about if a man gets up and begins to give a whole lot of stories and begins to impart of his own knowledge. I'm talking about God's word will never return void. And what we find here with Peter, he was giving them the whole counsel of the word of God. Even though it wasn't popular what he was saying, but he gave them the word of God. And God's word will never return void. And that brings us to the fifth point. We see productivity. The early church was able to produce results. It was a church that was pure. It was a church that was powerful. It was a church that was persecuted. It was a church that was persistent. And because of all these qualities that the church had, it produced results. And if we want to produce results today, 
we must be willing to pay the price. The reason why there's some people that don't bear fruit, the reason why some Christians bear fruit and other Christians don't bear fruit is because you're not willing to pay the price. You can come here week after week, and some of you can come week after week, week after week, week after week, and stay the same. Well, there's others that are growing spiritually, and they're becoming spiritual giants. What's the reason? The reason why is because you haven't been willing to pay the price. You haven't been willing to give yourself totally and completely to God. When you begin to give yourself totally and completely to God, you can't help but begin to bear fruit. And the early church was a very productive church. Now let's take a look and see what happened. Well, we find in verse 33, as Peter began to preach to them, there are three things that actually take place every time you preach. L listen to what happened. It says, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart, and then it says that they took counsel to slay them. Now, first of all, when it says they were cut to the heart, you know what it actually says? What it really means when they were cut to the heart, it means that they were under conviction. They got convicted. See? When you preach God's word under the unction of the Holy Spirit, it brings conviction. Over and over again in the word of God in the book of Acts, we could turn to other portions of the book of Acts, and you find that when they preached the word of God, it convicted. The word of God reproves. The word of God convicts. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.